Let's stand and look at Proverbs chapter 17, verse 14. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 14. And um, then we're going to look at Scripture from all over the Word of God this morning. This is not a typical expositional sermon uh, that I would normally preach, working my way through a passage. Uh, However, I do pray and believe that every scripture that I use this morning is expositionally informed, that I won't take a text out of its context, but that we'll take a systematic approach to this subject of a better way, dealing with conflict in the home, dealing with conflict in the home. And Proverbs 17, verse 14 says, The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before quarrel starts. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that this morning your Holy Spirit would just grab hold of our hearts, bring healing and strength to our homes today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated this morning. You know, I've enjoyed this whole study, and I appreciate Jeff for making the messages available on our website. But today is the concluding message, and I kind of hate to bring the series to an end. We've looked at preparing the next generation for courtship and marriage and all that family involves. We've looked at what the marriage is supposed to be a picture of, what what the relationship between husband and wife is supposed to be a picture of in the home. We have also uh, looked last week at um, the, a, a better way when it comes to the whole family as a whole and parenting and the relationship between parents and children. And then this week, we're closing out with the fact that we're all having to, at some time or another, deal with conflict in the home. I remember staying at the Alford Center, uh, named after the late Stephen Alford, one of the greatest preachers and Bible teachers I've ever known, ever had a privilege of sitting down at a table with and, and just kind of gleaning all the information I could from him. And uh, Dr. Alford's son made this statement about this facility that they have there in Memphis, Tennessee. Beautiful facility, immaculate facility. It's called the Alford Center. And uh, as I was admiring the facility, they explained that this had been donated to them. They were not in debt. They had no payments to make. He said the whole facility was given to them. I said, wow, man, that's awesome. What a gift. You can do this, this vital ministry because the facility was given to you. And he went on to explain, he said, it was given to us, but it's like having somebody give you a very expensive car, a big car. He said it takes a lot of gas and a lot of maintenance to keep it going. And and I think about that when I think of this thing called the family, when we look at subjects like marriage, and then we talk about children being a heritage from the Lord. We say, God, this is a wonderful gift. God's given me a a wonderful wife and wonderful children. I I love my family, and I see them as a gift from God. Don't deserve it, but I'm grateful for it. However, the family requires maintenance. It requires fuel just to keep the thing going, right? And so today, I want to talk about how we do that when we're facing conflict, when we're facing things that come against us. Let me just mention some areas of conflict before we get started. Conflict could come up in our philosophy, what we're about as a family, the direction that we're headed as a family, our mission and purpose as a family. It could be personality conflicts even within the family, although most of the times there's a good personality blend there because that's what attracted the husband and wife to one another to start with. More often than not, conflict arises over money in the home. 
There's also devastations that can happen. Sinful devastation and crisis devastation. When something happens that you didn't see coming, that, that kind of grabs you out of nowhere. And then there's what we would call defiance. Defiance of, of parental authority or a refusal to obey one's parents. Or sometimes just defiance of scriptural authority where one spouse or another spouse says, you know what, I'm not going to go along with what the principles of scripture say that I'm supposed to be about. So I want to speak to the family this morning, but I want to also speak to individuals. You say, well, why are you talking to individuals if it's a family message? Because as an individual, in your heart this morning, you understand something. You understand that we cannot assume that everybody in the family will always cooperate. And so you need to know how to respond personally. Nor can we always assume that the other person is the problem. It's my kid's fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's my parents' fault. We can't assume that somebody else is the problem. We've heard the phrase before, it takes two to tango. We can only control our actions and our reactions, so we are responsible for our actions and our reactions. God made us response-able. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to mention four things just briefly. We'll be flipping all through the scriptures this morning, so I want to encourage you to keep up, keep your Bibles open, or keep your Bibles turned on, as we have to say. I remember there was a time when I told uh, college students in a Bible class, you better not have your phone out in the class, and now I walk into class and say, take your phone out and turn your Bible out on, and we'll get started. So if you need to open your Bible or turn your Bible on, just have it ready, and we'll, we'll point out four things this morning that we need to do when we face conflict in the home. Number one. And this really should happen before conflict begins because as we looked at Proverbs chapter 17, verse 14, a moment ago it says, stop it before it gets started. Number one, determine to glorify God in all things. Determine to glorify God in all things. Now, if you've got your Bibles, flip real fast to the New Testament, to Colossians. Right there in the middle of your New Testament, you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, we find one of my life verses. Verse 17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then in verse 23, Whatever you do, do it heartily. That means with all your heart, passionately as unto the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward. What is Paul saying? He's saying, you live your life, everything you do in your life, you live it wholeheartedly for the glory of God. And so the beginning of dealing with conflict in the home, in any situation, is to say, Lord, in the midst of all this, we didn't see the devastation, we didn't see the defiance, we didn't see the disagreement, the differences, we didn't see all of this coming, but Lord, we want to make a commitment right now as a family, and I want to make a commitment right now as, a, as an individual. To, in this situation, I want to do what brings glory to God. I want to glorify God. That means I have to be walking in the Spirit, you know. Galatians 5, 17 says if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And that becomes important because so much conflict comes out of walking in the flesh. But I want my heart to be in tune with the heart of God. And what happens when everybody in a family says we're going to get our hearts in tune with the heart of God, it's kind of like tuning uh, five or six pianos. You know, you don't... If you have five or six pianos up here and you want them all to be in tune together, you don't tune this one to this one and this one to this one and this one to this one. You take all of the pianos and you tune them to the same tuning fork. 
and Jesus Christ should be our tuning fork. When we all come together, we say, more than anything else, I want to glorify God. And every individual in the family says, that's most important to me. I want to glorify God. Then we can see that God will begin to give us everything that we need to overcome the conflict. Often, the greatest need when there's conflict in the home. And don't, don't overlook this. This might be the only thing somebody needs today. Often the greatest need when there's conflict in the home is revival in the home. Most of our conflict is spiritually related. So often the greatest need when there's conflict in the home is revival in the home. And I think there's so many times I'm praying for revival in the church. God, bring revival. God, send revival. Just overflow this place with revival. Let there be new energy, new passion, new excitement for the things of God. And I felt this week as I was preparing this message, God saying, we need revival in our homes so that that can, in the church, be an overflow of what God is already doing in the home. Early in counseling, when I do marriage counseling, I have to determine, are they here because they want to win and get their way? Are they here because they need me as a sounding board? Somebody just needs to vent. And by the way, the Lord showed me early on in ministry, as a pastor, sometimes you just need to let people vent. Don't take it personal. Just let them let it out. Do they want me to be a sounding board? Do they want a reprieve? Are they coming to me so I will get somebody else off their back, get my kids off my back, get my parents off my back, get my spouse off my back? Do they want a reprieve? Or, and this is when I know that we're headed in the right direction from the very beginning, or are they coming to me saying, more than anything else, we want to do the will of God. We want to glorify God. And we, we want to go in the direction that he leads. See, there's no other noble cause than saying, first and foremost, we want to glorify God. When that's in place, everything else will fall in place. So are you allowing conflict to overcome your spiritual life today? Are you allowing conflict to get your mind off of Christ and living for his glory? Or are you allowing your walk with Christ to allow you to overcome conflict. You'll do one or the other. Romans eight twenty eight says, All things work together for the good of them that love him and are called according to his purposes. And so when we're con- consistently seeking to give him the glory, things will work together. We are, that chapter goes on to say in verse 30, 37, we are more than conquerors. We will get victory in the conflict when our goal is to glorify him. Now, again, I know I'm speaking to many people as individuals. How do you respond in a situation? Number two, once you determine to glorify God, humbly examine and remove the log in your own eye. Humbly examine and remove the log in your own eye. Humbly deal with your own sin and sinful pride. Now, you know the passage in Matthew chapter 7 where it says, Judge not lest you be judged. Matthew 7 goes on to say, why are you trying to get the speck out of your neighbor's eye when you should be getting the log, the telephone pole, out of your own eye? Often we're trying to blame somebody else in the home for something that's got us angry, something that's got us frustrated, when Jesus is saying, remove the log out of your own eye. Humbly deal with your own sin. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, In lowliness of mind, consider others better than yourselves. And and so we want to humbly examine where we are in this. As I mentioned from Proverbs 17, 14 a moment ago, we're to stop contention before it starts. 
Now, if you're in Proverbs, you might want to turn over to Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. And circle this and underline it. It will bring healing. It will probably even save a relationship from time to time when it's applied. Proverbs 19, verse 11 says the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression. In other words, whenever possible, when you're getting the log out of your own eye, you come to the conclusion that that speck in your brother's eye, the speck in your sister's eye, in your spouse's eye, in your children's eye, that speck really is just going to be wiped out anyway. There's nothing. It's, it's just simply not that big a deal. Now that's hard for somebody like me who has to be right. Some of you know my story. I wanted to be a lawyer from the time I was in middle school because I love to argue. And I love to be right. And I like to convince everybody else I'm right. And sometimes it can be a little thing, a little trivial thing. My wife will tell you, it can be as small as which store did we buy something on our honeymoon? When my mind should have been on a lot of other things on our honeymoon. Am I right? And and, uh, (laughs) It's my birthday. I can say what I want to this morning. You know, and I'm like, no, I've got to prove that we bought it from the store I said we bought it from because I've got to be right. And God says, it's the glory of a man to overlook a matter. This is just not a big deal. It's not getting worth getting upset about. And sometimes we get upset because our kids get upset about trivial things. I wonder where they got it from. We get upset about trivial things. It's the glory of a man to overlook a matter. It's not that big a deal. If it's not sinfully dishonoring to God, if it's not bringing serious harm to you or to the other person, to the home, then it's not worth conflict. Just let it go. Cut it down and forget it. Or as the the old preacher said, Fido, F-I-D-O, Fido, forget it and drive on. So learn, learn in humility to not make a big deal out of little things. And then take the log out of your own eye in that process saying, now wait a minute, there might be a big deal I'm struggling with. I remember a deacon in North Carolina. In North Carolina, it's really hard to preach against smoking because everybody grew up raising tobacco. And I remember a deacon talking to me outside at the church one day, talking about how those kids are tracking mud on the carpet in the church. And how those kids sometimes forget to take their hat off when they come into church. And he could not believe how they were treating the temple of God. And I said, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. So whether it's my eating or your smoking, we're probably more guilty than those kids of defiling the temple of God. Take the log out of your own eye. Build a loving relationship with those kids. And then we'll teach them how to respect God's property. See, it's a spirit of humility that we lack. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Repent of walking in the flesh, walk in the spirit. James 4, James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he he says, Where do fights come from? Where do these quarrels come from among you? Isn't Isn't it coming from your desire to have your own way? Take the log, Jesus says in Matthew 7, take the log out of your own eye. That means we have to repent of idolatry. We have to repent of those things that we want for ourselves in the flesh, and therefore there's conflict as a result. Are we offended 
by somebody in our household because we're not getting something we want more than we want God. Think about that. When you're offended, you say there's conflict, I've been offended, I've had my feelings hurt. This can apply to church just as much as home, can it not? Is it because I didn't get something that I want more than I want God? It was something that money could buy. It was a need I wanted my spouse to meet. It was the image I wanted my children to give me. There's something I want more than the glory of God. I need to take the log out of my own eye, repent, humbly examine, and remove the log in your own eye, and walk with him. Number three, gently restore the offender. Once you take the log out of your own eye, we, are, we don't want to take Matthew 7 out of context and say, well, you're just not supposed to judge anybody, so never go to approach anybody and tell them what they're doing is wrong. Jesus said, judge with righteous judgment. Get the log out of your own eye and then move the speck out of your brother's eye. Turn to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. How do you go to someone who has done something sinful, something offensive, something that can be destructive in the home? Remember back to the middle of your New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. This time we're in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, that word could be sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, if you've concluded, you can skip number two and say, well, you know, I don't really have any problems with my own life. I don't have to examine myself. Then go back to number one and start the process all over again. He says you are spiritually minded. When you've gotten your own life right with God, don't try to correct anybody else until you Get your life in tune, because that will bring such a spirit of humility. You'll be so overwhelmed by God's amazing grace that you'll be more gracious in how you approach others. He says, bear one, another bur- one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is not, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, then he will be, have rejoicing in himself and not in another. So if someone's overtaking, you who are spiritual, restore. That's, the, that's, that's picturesque of setting a broken bone. Restore that bone in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself. Ephesians 4.15 says, in those moments we're to be speaking the truth in love. Everybody wants to go to one extreme or another. Well, I'm going to tell the truth, and I'm going to tell it like it is. And others will, I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I want to be loving. We're to do both. We're to speak the truth in a spirit of love when we confront sin. Anybody ever had a kid earn some major road rash because maybe they were riding their bike a little too fast and it got out of control and they wiped out? You know, they. You, what do you do, man? You, you don't say, you idiot. Why were you riding in the street? Why were you riding that fast? Why were you jumping that ramp? Guilty. Why were you trying that? No, you know, you pick them up and you handle it tenderly. You don't leave the gravel and the tar and, and the dirt and the mud and everything that gets rubbed in. You don't leave all that in there. You got to clean it out. But you also do it tenderly because you don't like seeing your child dealing with the pain but you know it's got to be cleaned and and that's that same gentleness that same care that we approach when we confront sin we do it we hurt with them we'd rather have to go through the pain than them but we want to clean up the wound we want to help them to heal and that's the spirit in which 
we should approach someone in a situation like this. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. You say, I know I need to confront this situation, but boy, I'm just going to make everybody mad. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Men, that I means sometimes we just have to say, I was wrong. I'm, remember, remember the fines on happy days? I'm s-s-s-s-s. We can't say, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Have a gentle spirit. The lack of a gentle spirit, the, the, the lack of that sweet spirit may reveal your own insecurity and thus the, rene- the need to return to step number two, humbly examine and remove the log from your own eye. Now you say, what if an individual remains defiant in a situation like that? Certainly we have to exercise tough love sometimes. Matthew chapter 18, again, you can write this passage down in the margin of your Bible here in Galatians 6, or write it in your notes. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17 said, If you go and you show them their offense, and they still are unrepentant, they are blatantly rebellious, saying, I know this is sin, but I'm going to continue to live this way. Then you go, and I think this starts for families. It starts in the home. You don't run get the preacher until you confront it as a family. If there's brokenness and repentance, you've won that family member. If there's not, then you, you find a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, whatever the situation calls for, and you go to them together. And then, after that takes place, you bring them before the church if there's still not brokenness and repentance. See, you move into tough love. You don't enable the behavior while the relationship is not terminated if they're a family member. Certain privileges are terminated. In those moments, you want to keep the age and you want to keep expected responsibilities in mind. For instance, if it is a child, it may be as simple as saying, you're not getting dessert until we make this right. You're not playing those video games. Give me your iPod. No more Wii. No more playtime. You're in quiet time until we get this resolved. But as a teenager, you may have to take away a phone, the time with friends, or even the car. If they're 18 years or older, parents, what's going to sound really mean here. If they're 18 years or older, they're adults. It may mean that you're saying, if you're going to live like that, we're not providing room and board. You, You ready to take care of yourself? Take care of yourself. I love you. Always be your mom. Always be your dad. But we're not providing room and board. We're not enabling its behavior. And sometimes we have to show tough love because in doing so, instead of enabling the sin, we're bringing them closer to a spirit of brokenness and repentance. And we do so with a broken heart ourselves. There's a group called MAMA. M-A-M-A. MAMA. And it stands for Mothers Against Methamphetamines. The reason I got in touch with MAMA... It's not because I was getting help from my mama. I'm not struggling with meth, but there are a lot of people in this county that are. And what I found, the number one problem for moms when their kids are on methamphetamines and they're addicted, moms want to bail them out. Moms want to buy their groceries. They can't hold a job. They become serious drug addicts to this meth that is more addictive than anything that we've ever seen before in this area. Moms want to bail them out. Moms want to buy their groceries. Moms want to pet them. And and, and this group says the number one thing we have to do is encourage moms to stand strong and show tough love and not enable this behavior and say, hey, you can't live in my house. You can't 
use my money that's going to prolong your habit. So it may mean that we show tough love sometimes and stand strong. And finally, number four, we need to, as soon as we can, graciously be reconciled. We need to graciously reconcile as soon as we can. We need to forgive as God forgives. Flip over a few more pages from Galatians to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In premarital counseling, I warn couples, this is a verse you're going to need. Ephesians 4, verse 32, And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You're never asked. When it comes to this whole thing of dealing with conflict in the home, you're never asked as an individual to do more than what Jesus did for you. Because of your sin, because of my sin, Jesus went to a cross, and he died in my place. He died in your place because he loved us. And he says here, be kind one to another, even as God, for Christ's sake, who went to a cross, died for you. So don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. If you show gracious love and or tough love, they still may refuse to be reconciled. They still may refuse to do the right thing. They may still attack you. Don't stoop to those level, uh, those levels. Don't stoop to those tactics. Don't say, well, if you want to play that game, let's fight. Overcome evil with good. Luke 6, 27, 28. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who do evil to you. Pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you. If they continue the sinful offense in your life, you're going to love them. You may have to show tough love, but you're going to love them. In Romans 12, 20 and 21, again, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we do that? Man, that's tough. We graciously reconcile as soon as we can, but that means we, we first we have to pray. We've got to pray for them. Spend time. How much time do you spend in frustration? How much time do you spend fuming over the actions or behaviors of those who bring conflict in the home compared to how much time do you spend praying about it? And do you have an accountability partner? And I don't mean a gossip partner. Men, women, find an accountability partner, somebody you can talk to about anything and say, let's pray about this. Let's pray about this situation. Somebody you can confide in and you know that they're not going to gossip about it. Second, control your tongue. Bless and not curse. Speak well of your kids and your spouse. Kids, speak well of your parents in public. As a matter of fact, young ladies, when you're looking for that right guy, one way to tell if he's the wrong guy, if he's trash-talking his parents all the time, that means he'll probably trash-talk you one day. Kids, speak well of your parents. Parents, speak well of your kids. Husbands, wives, speak well of one another in the public arena. Third, seek godly counsel. Now, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the path of the sitter, or sit in the seat of the mocker. Don't find those people who don't know God and just tell them about all your problems at home. They're going to make things worse. They're going to give you some bad advice. But Proverbs 27, 9 says there's wisdom in the presence of many counselors. The counsel of a godly friend rejoices the heart. And we need the, the counsel of the godly friend to rejoice our hearts and tell us that there's hope in moments like that. And so seek godly counsel. 
And if you're looking for a Christian counselor, you say this goes a little bit deeper, and you talk with a pastor, you talk with others that might help bring healing in your home, and you say, you know what, I need to see a counselor. Be sure they have a biblical worldview, because not everybody who claims to be a Christian counselor really has a biblical worldview. So you make sure they have a biblical worldview, and you seek advice, you seek help when you can. You pray, you control your tongue, you seek advice. Let's all remember Philippians. Turn over one more book. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to close. It says, let this mind be in you. What does the word mind mean? Some translations say attitude. Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. What does this say that Jesus did? It said, Jesus valued relationships more than rights. Because he had the right to come as the Son of God in power and just wipe us all out and say, I'm done with this. Just like in the days of the flood, God had a right to destroy the world with a flood, and the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ has a right to just say, no more, I'm done. But he loves us. And because he loves us, he says, reconciliation, the fact that we work this out is more important than rights. So I'm going to a cross. I'm going to be crucified because your coming together with God is more important than rights. And so in our attitude, in our relationship, we're saying reconciliation is more important than rights. It's, it's more important than me getting what I think I have coming. And what happened as a result? Verse 9, therefore God also has highly exalted him given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, those uh, of those in heaven, those on the earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You vow, value those relationships more than anything else. First, your relationship with God. Let's get the vertical in order. Seek to glorify him. And then let's do these things that we need to do horizontally. Let's get the log out of our own. Uh, let's, let's graciously confront the situation and bring about reconciliation as soon as possible for his glory. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?